Amen. You can have a seat. If you have a Bible, uh, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 6. And uh, we are in the middle of a series called Incarnate. We're talking about Jesus. And uh, if you are here and you are back from being away at school, uh, let's just, those of us who are normally here, let's welcome those who aren't normally here, who've come back from school. Let's welcome them back tonight and say we're glad you're here. And um, if you haven't been here, I want to kind of catch you up on where we are and kind of our thought process tonight so it kind of makes sense to you a little bit. And um, John chapter 1 is where we've kind of been hanging out. We've been talking about Jesus. There's no other name like Jesus. There was no other person like Jesus. Jesus was probably one of the most controversial people that's ever lived. And in January, starting January 6th, we're going to start a, another series on Jesus. This series deals a little more with Christology, the study of his personhood, his divinity, his humanity. But we're going to start a series in January called Controversial Jesus. We're going to take some of the controversial things that Jesus said and look at them and dig into them. Some of the things that we don't really like to talk about. We like Jesus who's meek and mild and white and blonde-haired and floats around and says pithy in statements. But we don't really like the Jesus who kind of gets up in our grill. And so we're going to kind of re-meet Jesus as we have been doing. So we found out in John chapter 1 that the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the creation of all things, the purpose behind all things, the reason for all things. And then John takes this concept, the Logos, what we would know as fate or destiny, and he attaches a person to it, God. And then he attaches that to Jesus. And he says that the Word, Logos, was with God, it was God, it was the creator of all things. And then he says something amazing that we found out last week, is that this Logos stepped into its creation. The word Logos became flesh and tabernacled, set up a tent, took up residence in our backyard. It dwelt among us. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Because he came. Not because he asked us to come to him, which most churches do today, by the way. They ask everybody out there to come to them. He came to us. He incarnated himself to us. So as you you read through the Gospel of John, you get later in the Gospel of John, and Jesus is talking to these disciples. In John chapter 1, we see him call his first disciples. Later on in the Gospel of John, he starts to talk to his disciples. And one of the things he says on his way to the cross, he says to his disciples, As the Father has sent me, so I'm going to send you. We kind of read through that sometimes. Oh, sweet. As the Father sent Jesus, so he's sending us. But we have to ask the question, what is the nature in which the Father sent Jesus? Because if we have been sent like Jesus in the same way that the Father sent Jesus, then we've got to know how we're sent. And if we're sent, and we're sent like Jesus, then we should ask the question, well, how was Jesus sent? And here's... Here's where I would take us tonight, is that Jesus was sent in a way that would make sense, that would explain, that would contextualize, so to speak, God to everyone he met. He came as a man. He came with flesh on. He had hair. He had ears. He had eyes. He had a nose. He came in a way that would make sense. And so when John says to um, us through his gospel that Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Here's the first way that the Father is sending us to incarnate the gospel to the world. 
Jesus was the incarnation of God, but now we as the body of Christ have been called to take this gospel, this message about this Jesus, not, not doctrine. And don't get me wrong, I love, I love doctrine. I like to sit down with the best of them and talk about and debate theology. But at the end of the day, our doctrine should get us to a person, Jesus. It should uplift Jesus. So we're not talking about doctrine. We're talking about Jesus. So he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus in a way that made sense, and the Father is sending us in a way that makes sense to people. How do you, how do you make sense of the gospel to people? How do you make it make sense? Because it's different for people in China. It's different for people in Afghanistan. It's different for people at USF, and it's different for people at HCC, and it's different for the homeless guys that we talked to tonight when we went out to this homeless camp behind McDonald's on 60. And it's different for the girls living at Stepping Stone Farms that some of you went to tonight. And it's different for all those kids who have been abandoned or neglected or abused by their parents. So now they're in an orphanage over here called a kid's place. It is different for every person. But here's the reality, just like Charlie said, that we have been called to be the incarnation of this message of Jesus. Not to be God, but to incarnate the message of Jesus. And there is a lot of need in the world. There is a whole lot of need in the world. There's a lot of people who have a lot of need. And um, before we kind of dig into this text tonight, I want to invite two people up to kind of share their story. Because sometimes we think about need, and it becomes vast, and it becomes big, and there's a lot of need. Jesus incarnates God to us, and he's called us to go in the same way that he was sent, to incarnate, to make sense of the gospel, to put flesh on this message as the body of Christ, to people. Jesus came to people. He came to some of the most messed up people. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with fishermen. He hung out with the people that nobody wanted to hang out with. And so Jesus is calling us to go to people. And sometimes the need can become overwhelming. You probably know what I'm talking about. You see the need. You see lostness at your campus. You see people who don't know Christ. They don't even want to know Christ. You see poverty. You see orphans. You see homelessness. You see hunger. You see lack of clean water. You see need. But sometimes if it stays big, then we don't do anything about it. But it's people. It's people. Tonight, I want, to, I want you to meet two of our own refugees who... Um, Jesus has stepped into their life and become Emmanuel, God with them in a real way. And, um, and so they're just going to tell you their story. And um, their names are Alex and Chris. And so um, I'm going to invite Alex to come up. And then um, as soon as Alex is done, Chris is going to come up. And they're just going to share a little bit of their story with you. And then we're going to dig into the text. So um, y'all welcome Alex. Check, check. Check, check. There you go. You're good. Yeah. Um, well, as you said, my name is Alex. Um, when Matt asked me to come up here and speak with you, I kind of had to laugh at myself because about a year and a half ago, I was the girl in the back row that he was getting to stop talking so he could finish his lesson. And now here I am today, he's asking me to speak as part of the lesson. Um, but I'll get back to that in just a second. I wanted to tell you about my first night here at Refuge. Um, it was about six months after my parents were divorced. I had found myself unemployed, out of money, no friends. I was between churches. Nobody knew my situation. And um, I decided that if I ran away, nobody would even notice. 
So I planned to get in the car and I can laugh at it now because I had absolutely no plans. I was going to get in the car, go to downtown Tampa and hopefully never just never come back. And as I get on the road and I'm going down Parsons and to turn right would take me to downtown to turn left would bring me here. I'm getting to the light and I get a little reminder in my head that refuge had moved to the Bell Shoals camp instead of East Bay. And it's going to start in 10 minutes. So why don't you just go? So I said, okay, fine, I'll run away another day. And somehow just my, my intent, my, my purpose, my excitement about leaving and showing my family, you know, just how much they'd done to hurt me just with, melted away. And I showed up at refuge, but I was still nowhere near where I am today because I walked into refuge and I said, oh, great. Another thing I can add to my Christian checklist. Another thing I can say, I went to this as a young adult instead of partying. And, um, I had a lot of pride because before my parents were divorced, my mom called me the torchbearer of the family because I was the only one who went to church. And so that was a huge point of pride for me. And it slowly became, I am just a torchbearer. I am the coolest Christian in the world. So it all came to a point one night when I was in the back row of the class and um, I was talking to a friend of mine because apparently that was more important than listening to Matt speak. And um, I'm Italian, so I'm not gifted with the ability to whisper. So I was actually talking and people were looking at me. I didn't even care. I didn't even notice. And a friend tapped me on the shoulder and pointed to the front. And Matt was just staring at me, completely silent, waiting for me to finish. And I think on the outside, I obeyed. But on the inside, I thought, who does this guy think he is? He's scolding me, the torchbearer of the Shavoni family. I am a perfect person. I did nothing wrong. I'm going to have to set him straight very soon. And um, instead, over the next few days, God started to point out to me a lot of places that I needed to be set straight. And I was dealing with a lot of pride, a lot of bitterness, and a lot of anger. And I thought that no matter what I did, it was okay because I was just coping with my family's divorce. I could do whatever I wanted. And... Um, very quickly, I started to become broken by that. And Satan decided that was a great time to step in. And he told me, look at all you've done. Look at all the horrible things you've done. God can't use you anymore. He's done. And um, I was unemployed because I'd been fired. So I don't know how many people in here have been fired. But this is what they do. They ask you in. They say, hi, you know, it's, we're really sorry to tell you. But, you know, you messed up here, here, and here. You did this wrong. You didn't do this good enough. So we're going to have to let you go. So Satan was trying to tell me God was giving me my exit interview. He was letting me know why he had to let me go and he couldn't use me. And um, I shared these feelings with a friend, an older friend of mine who's very wise, and I'm so thankful for her. And she asked me, Alex, did you wake up this morning and email me this yourself? I said, yeah. She said, the fact that you woke up this morning means that God's not done with you. So don't think for a second that God's not done with you, because if you were, you wouldn't have woken up this morning. And... Um, and that started to break me, and I went to God, and I said, God, I don't know how you want to use me, but however you want to use me, go for it. And that weekend, I was still at a new church. I still knew nobody, and they needed help in the youth ministry. And they plugged me into a small group of sixth-grade girls. And I continued to teach them into this year, and they now hold a massive piece of my heart, and they're like my own children. And um, through this past year, God just tore everything away from me that was a source of pride. And brought me to a point where I needed his grace more than ever. And that's when he stepped in and he told me, I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. And in Matthew, one of the last words that Jesus has said, one of the last things he said was, God, why have you forsaken me? And so God told me that price was paid. Because he was forsaken, I'm accepted. And because I'm accepted, I can hold true to the truth that 
he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. And he completed, he started this work in me and he's not going to be finished until he's finished. And now I can stand before you today and tell you that I'm not perfect. I'm farther from perfect than I ever thought I was before. But I can hold true to the fact that I'm not going to be done with perfection until God decides I am. And this truth holds true to all of you, whether you're saved or not. The fact that you woke up this morning means that God's not done with you yet either. Um, I want to invite Chris to come up. You guys welcome Chris. I can... Uh, I can never pronounce Chris's last name. How do you say your last name? Orcio. Names in refuge. So, y'all give it up for Chris. It was good. I. I grew up, you know, in the in the church and stuff. With my family, you know, we all went to church and everything, but family was far from anything holy. You know what I'm saying? And um. So I had I grew up with the knowledge, knowing, oh yeah, this is this is what God is, and you know this is how things are supposed to be, and this is what people expect me to do, and you know, so I was like, I, I just had that knowledge, you know, it's like, all right, cool, cool, yeah, I'm cool, I'm saved, right? Because I know, I know what's up, but uh, and like, I did that. It's like in third grade, I went to this play, and um, they did this whole. This whole scene on the stage and stuff where this dude was talking and trying to be like, oh man, we on a, they was like on a plane and stuff and they're like, hey, hey, get saved, get saved because you're going to hell if you don't. Nah, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. They die and then they show the heaven and the hell and everything. I got scared. I'm like, oh man, I got to say this prayer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's how it was. It's like, it's like a magical prayer, you know, it's going to save me and stuff. So I'm doing that and, uh, you know, it was for that moment. It was, it was all good. All right, I'm saved. That's good. Let me just continue doing my thing. You know, and uh, you know, as I got older, everything just got worse. You know, everything just, I got caught up in so many stupid stuff. You know, and uh, so much like it got to the point where I had to, I had to actually move out of state, and my family had to move and. I'm thinking like, man, I need to change. I need to do something. You know, I tried to change myself so many times. Yeah. I went to maybe maybe if I go over here, I could I could like change something, you know, like just set everything up, make things better, you know. And uh spent spent a little while in a different state, you know, came back, got involved in some more stupid stuff, you know, just thinking like justifying like, all right, it's not I'm not doing as much anymore you know i'm gonna just i'm gonna just justify you know this is it's okay if i do this much you know if it's if i only sell this much or if i if i only you know just, just retarded right but um so i'm doing that and i'm like man man i need i still need this is wrong man i can't do this i need to change so i tried to change myself and you know wound up like my past catching up to me i wound up spending time in jail like three months for a robbery thing when I was legit, and um, in jail I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not, I need to change again, you know, I need to, it's not working. Like uh, in jail, I'm like, man, I'm not selling no more, I'm not, I'm not gonna do nothing. Got out, man, recession, middle of recession, couldn't get no job, nothing. 
I'm like, all right, man. Then I go justifying again. All right, since I got no job, I got nothing, man. I got to do this. I need this. I need to, I need to do this, relying on myself, you know? And uh, still, you know, this constant cycle. When I was growing up and stuff, you know, all to that point, I'm like saying this prayer over and over, this magical prayer, thinking like, like when everything go wrong, I'm like, man, I got to say this. I got to do this to get myself right. You know, I got to do this. I got to do this, you know? Tried to change myself so many times and nothing worked, you know? And uh, it came around, it was like this year, it was on uh, August, like a little bit before, and I got uh, jumped, you know, and uh, got in a car accident the same week, and all this, all this stuff, and it wasn't, it wasn't really like, it wasn't like nothing big to me. It was just like, I knew, I knew God was trying to tell me something, like, like He was like opening my eyes, like, hey, hey, wake up, man, what, what you doing, man, like, like I'd be going to parties and stuff, and I'd be like sitting around like, man, this is nothing, man. These I, I didn't I didn't feel it was it was just like empty. I felt so empty, so lost, you know, like there's everything I tried to do, nothing could work, you know. And then all that all that stuff happened. I'm like telling everybody, I'm like, man, God trying to tell me something. God trying to tell me something. They're like, man, you crazy, man. You, you know what I'm saying? But uh I came to that point, like I came here, my boy, Matt Boyer invited me over here and he's like Hey man, come over. And I came over and uh, I'm just chilling in the back, right? And uh, <laughs> I'm chilling in the back. And I'm just like, man, these people lame, man. <laughs> man, for real. And then my boy Rusty come up. I'm like, oh man, for real. You know? And uh, so he come up and I'm like, uh, and he starts talking to me and he starts spitting some real stuff. Like stuff that I was actually thinking about and going through throughout the week. You know, I'm like, man, like, this is real. Like, this dude actually cool, man. He he's been some real stuff. So I started listening and everything, you know. I mean, I, I kinda knew everything, but it's like it's like everything was finally coming together, everything was clicking, you know. God was really opening my eyes. He was really revealing himself, like, for real. Like I, I knew I knew it was real, but it wasn't real to me, you know? It wasn't it wasn't until that moment, like, God was just connecting everything, you know? I'm just like, yo, I'm worthless. Like, this life is not mine. This night, it, it's not ours, you know? It's, we were put on this surface to glorify God, you know? And we get caught up in our own whatever, and then we try to change ourselves and stuff, and ain't nothing going to work, you know? It got, it's all about God, you know? And, I, and he was revealing that to me, you know? I'm just like, man, I felt so evil. I felt so like like assured, like at all at the same time, like I felt like, man, like I'm so bad, but he saved me. Like he did this for me. You know, and just it was crazy, man. You know, God really opened my eyes. Like I, I was I was like so I couldn't even say anything. I'm just like I see, I know, I got it, you know, and from that day, August 6th, I've been, I'm like, man, God, I'm giving my life to you, man, this life ain't mine, man, I'm tripping, you know, this, I'm giving my life to you, you know, it's not about us, you know, so, and I didn't have to, that wasn't just a little, a little splurge for a moment, you know, it was real, God really revealed himself to me, you know, it was real, like, 
I've been, I mean, yeah, I fall and stuff. I'm still on that roller coaster though, you know, get up, up and down and stuff. But I was waiting in line at first, you know. Now I'm on the ride, you know. <laughs> so, but yeah, man, God's so real, you know. He's so real. People, when I was when I was growing up and stuff, since I grew up in the church, people would tell me all the time, you know, how how he's this and this and how he's so good and how he did this and they laugh and they'll just be like, yeah, okay, it's not real to me, so what what's whatever, you know? But it is like nah nah I I see, you know. It's the same thing people were telling me, you know, it's 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 real. It's so real, you know. It's all about God. It's all about God. Only through Jesus, you know. Praise God. My question to him last night on the phone was, well, are we still lame? Um, <laughs> if you got your Bibles, look at John chapter 6. Jesus um, wants to step into the life of the super prideful and religious. And Jesus wants to step into the life of the guy who's dealing drugs and thinks that God doesn't exist and he doesn't have anything for him. And God wants to use us to do that. Like, he wants to use us to do that. In John chapter 6, we get this, this amazing story of Jesus, and he's hanging out with his disciples, and um, there is a lot of need. John chapter 6, verse 1, we'll start reading there. You can read with me if you have your scriptures with you. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw that the signs that he was doing on the sick Basically, people were following Jesus, like droves and droves of people were following Jesus because they knew there was something different about this man. Not just the twelve, but thousands, as we'll see in a second. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that the large crowd was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? Jesus asked Philip a question. I want you to hang on to this question for a second because it's really important for us tonight. He asked Philip, where are we going to get bread for these people to eat? Verse 6. He said to this, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Jesus, we, we don't even have enough for them to get a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have them sit down. Have the people sit down. Now there was so much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. In, in Mark's gospel, we see how he distributed them. In Mark's gospel, chapter 6, same story. Mark shows us a little detail of how Jesus distributed the food. And it wasn't... Jesus distributing the food. In fact, Jesus gave the food to his 12 disciples, and they distributed the food. So kind of hang on to that thought for a minute, because it means a lot for us tonight. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. 
And when the people saw this sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus is there with his disciples. And people were pressing in on Jesus. People were attracted to Jesus because they knew that he was different. They probably wouldn't have said it like John said it in chapter 1, that he was the word made flesh. But they knew there was, there was something different about this guy. And there was. Because he was God in flesh. He was God that you could laugh with and talk to. He was explaining God to the people. He was healing, and people were pressing in on Jesus. So the picture we get in John 6 is that Jesus has withdrawn to a mountain, and all of these people are there, and there's a lot of need. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of need in our world today. Last night, we went to a kid's place right over here. If you don't know what it is, it's a, it's a transitional home of sorts for kids who are abandoned neglected or abused by their parents. There was probably about 30 of you that showed up just to hang out with some kids, to love on them. Matt Miller, Magic Matt, did a magic show last night, and uh, one of the kids there in, the, in a quiet moment of the magic show said, you are so cool, really loud. So Matt was, yes. Matt is cool. Um, he makes like water disappear and stuff. It's crazy. So we're there with these kids, right? And Ruth, the lady who organizes the volunteerism there, she told me, she said, yeah, we, we get kids that come in and they go out. And our goal is to keep kids together in sibling units because a lot of times what happens is when they're taken out of homes where they're neglected, they're split up in the foster care system and they may never see each other again. She said, our goal is to be a place where we can keep them together and then they stay here until they're placed either with another family member or they're in foster care or they're adopted. And so there's about... 25 kids, about half of those we hung out with last night because the other half are babies, a stone's throw from us. They have no mom, no dad, or they do, and they don't care about them. Two of these kids that just came in there, she said they'd been put in a closet for weeks, and they had not been fed, and they had lice, and the lice were so bad that they had marks all over their head. That's a stone's throw from us. That's not Africa. That's here. Jesus says, go to them. There's a lot of need. And it got me last night. I'll just be honest with you, it got me. I got home and I started thinking about it. But we had uh, Ava there with us. And she was running around in the middle of those kids. And these kids, you know, if you saw them at the mall or something, you wouldn't think these are abandoned, abused, and neglected kids. They look like kids. They look like kids. They like to play. They like to have fun. They're kids. And I saw Ava running around in the middle of them. I thought, as much as I love my daughter, I could not imagine her being in a situation where she's staying in a place where she doesn't have a mom, she doesn't have a dad, and man, it broke my heart. Because they look just like my daughter. They're just kids. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of need in our world. We went to this uh, homeless camp tonight. About 10 of us guys that are in here tonight went to a homeless camp. Scott Higgins uh, got us connected to a place where some homeless guys lived. A lot of them had left because the police had run them off, but behind the McDonald's on 60, there's a place where they kind of camp out. And we just went out there, we put on some gloves and got some trash bags, and we just walked through their camp, and we picked up about 10 bags full of trash. We were walking around, this guy named Rob came up, and he started talking to us, and and um, I think Rob was probably half intoxicated, honestly. Um but he was just, man, bless you guys. Bless you guys for coming out here. He's like, I would have never been doing this when I was 20-something years old. He's like, thank you so much for coming out here. And then this, this lady walked out of nowhere. I think it's, it's funny because, you know, we live in Brandon. I mean, it's like the suburbs. 
But what I felt like is we had gotten into the dark corner of the room and we found that there were some people there. You know, you got those dark corners of the room. And people that don't like to be seen, they hide there. We were in the dark corner of Brandon. This field that I didn't even know existed. And I could hear people talking as we're walking around. And then all of a sudden, I see this girl walk from out of the woods, and she's walking towards this, this little area that Rob had set up where they were kind of hanging out and eating and doing whatever. And, and she walks out, and he calls her over. Her name was Tabitha. And me and Chris and Scott were talking to him, and some of the other guys were picking up trash. And he called her over because we were about to pray for Rob. Scott had said, Rob, how can we pray for you? And he said, well, I want you to pray for my friend Tabitha too. She, she just had been beaten by some other homeless people, and they must have taken what she had. And so she walked up, and all the guys were coming up behind me, and she, she was so fearful that she stood there for a moment. She, she kept shaking her head no, and she was shaking. We finally convinced her to come up, and when Chris took her hand, he said that, that her hand was just doing this. He had to hold her hand. We held hands, and we stood in that circle, and we prayed for her, that God would give her peace. There's a lot of need. In the dark corners of Brandon, Florida, there's a lot of need. Some of you went tonight to Stepping Stone Farms where you met at-risk girls who um, need someone to love them, to mentor them, to show them what it means to live a life of Christ. There's a lot of need. Jesus is here in John chapter 6, and he looks out. And here's the first thing. If you're going to incarnate the gospel, here's a couple things, and then we're done. If you're going to incarnate the gospel to this world, that's massive need. And can I, I know that the need is overwhelming. I mean, I saw that this week, but I've walked into Daisha, which is a refugee camp in Bethlehem, where there's 12,000 people, 7,000 of them are children, and they don't have water or food. I've walked through that place. I've seen need. I've been to Ethiopia. I've seen orphans. I've seen HIV AIDS babies. I've seen people that make a dollar a month. I know there's need in the world. Some of you have been to places like that. You know there's need in the world. And the need became, becomes so overwhelming that our first response sometimes is to do nothing. Sometimes the need is so overwhelming that our first response is to go, well, I can't meet anything, so I'm not going to do anything. That's an inappropriate response as Christ followers. It's inappropriate, and it's unacceptable. So Jesus is sitting here, and the first thing that we have to realize, if we're going to be people who incarnate the gospel to the needs of the world, I want you to check this out. In John chapter 6, it says that Jesus went up on the mountain, and he sat down with his disciples. And it says in verse 4, The Passover feast of the Jews was at hand, and lifting up his eyes, he saw the crowd was coming toward him. Really simple. Jesus saw people. Jesus saw people. How often do I go throughout my day and I don't see people? Like I see people, but I don't see people. Jesus had this uncanny ability, and he was God, but he had this uncanny ability to see people for who they were and where they were and to see their need. It says later in the Gospels that Jesus would look out on the crowds and the masses, and he was moved with compassion for them. Jesus saw people. If you want to be somebody who incarnates the gospel to the world, first you've got to see people. You've got to see people the way Jesus sees people. He sat up on that mountain that day, and he saw these people, and he saw that there was this great need. My prayer for me and for us as refuge is that we would see people, and we would see their need, and it would move us to compassion and action, and it would break our hearts. It would break our hearts for orphans that live a stone's throw from Bell Shoals Baptist. It would break our hearts for homeless people that live in the dark corners of Brandon. It would break our hearts 
for people who need the gospel while we sit in comfortable chairs. It would break our hearts. Jesus saw people. And so Jesus sees people. And check this out. I love what happens here. Jesus sees them. He knows they're in need. He's got to feed these people. And he looks over at Philip and he asks him a question. Jesus always asks questions. And Jesus is an omniscient God. He knows everything. So he doesn't really need an answer. But he asks Philip this question. And it's a pretty amazing question. He looks at Philip and he says, Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? Well, if I'm Philip, I'm sitting there going, Well, you're Jesus. You've been healing people. Do something. Here's Philip's response to him. He asked him, where are we going to buy bread so these people can eat? In verse 6, look at what he says. He said to this, he said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. And in verse 7, Philip answers, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of these men to even get a little. In Mark chapter 6, we get a little different spin on his response. He says that in Mark 6, but then he also asks Jesus, why don't you just tell these people to go away? Why don't you tell them to go somewhere else? How often do we see the needs of people, but then our response is, I don't have enough to meet the need, so why don't they just get out of my way? We see the homeless person and we go, why why doesn't he get a job? I can't do enough for the orphans of the world, so why why don't somebody else just take care of it? Jesus, send them somewhere else where they can be taken care of. Mark 6 tells us, he said, why don't you just send them someplace else? And then Jesus looks at him, and, well, actually, Philip looked, look in verse 8. Um, Philip looks over at Simon Peter, and he asks him what he's going to do. And Simon says, well, there, there's this boy here. He's got five barley loaves. He's got two fish, and, and they're not really that much. He says, but what are they for so many? And here's Jesus, verse 10 of chapter 6 here. Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sit down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. So I want you to catch this. Jesus looks at Philip and he asks Philip this question, how are we going to feed these people? In many ways, Jesus looks at us and he asks us the same question. How are we going to meet the needs of the people in Brandon? How are we going to meet the needs of the people in the world? How are we going to incarnate this gospel to everybody who is around us? There's a lot of need. And sometimes our first response is, I don't know. That's an appropriate response. Jesus wanted to get Philip to this place where he admitted that he was bankrupt. If you're going to be someone who incarnates the gospel, number one, you've got to see people, man. You have to see people like Jesus saw people. But secondly, you have to admit to Jesus that you're bankrupt. you got nothing. You have nothing, I have nothing. And I'm not just talking about your bank account, because I know that you probably don't have anything, Right? There's a lot of need. But when we come to Jesus, we realize that we don't have anything. Jesus wanted to get Philip to this point to where he admitted he has nothing. Because the reality is, is a lot of us, when we start to think about the need, if we don't say, go somewhere else, and we try to meet it, here's how we try to meet it. We try to be manufacturers. Everyone say manufacturer. We try to be manufacturers in ministry and in meeting needs and in reaching the world. But here's what Jesus said. He doesn't want these guys to be manufacturers. He said, you don't have anything. 200 denarii. That won't buy enough food for 5,000 people. And so they're going, well, what are we going to do? They find this little boy with five loaves of bread and fish, and they bring it to Jesus. I got some ramen noodles here. Uh, 
staple of most college students. How many of you have, have had ramen noodles in maybe the past couple weeks? Okay. This is chicken. I like chicken personally. I went to Walgreens and got this tonight. It was 55 cents. They've gone up. It was 25 cents when I was in college. So I don't know what's going on with Mr. Ramen. But. So it's, it's kind of like this. It's like, it's like if Jesus came to us and said, okay, you've got all these people and all this need, and, and here's what we've got. We've got some ramen. We're going to take all of this ramen and meet all the needs of the people. We got, Jesus, we got some ramen noodles. That's it, right? Jesus is going, bring me the ramen noodles. Give me the flavored chicken ramen noodles and put them in my hand. We just got this, Jesus. This is all we got. Some of you may feel like that. It's not that you're not compassionate. Some of you are the most compassionate people I've met. But you see the needs and you go, can we meet these needs? I don't have a lot of money. I'm a college student. I may not even have a lot of time. i got to study. I want to travel the world, but I don't know how I'm going to do that. I want to meet the needs of people here in Brandon, but I, I don't, I'm not creative enough. How are we going to do this? How are we as refuge going to meet the needs of Brandon when all we really have resource-wise is ramen noodles? We've got a pack of ramen. Jesus says, bring whatever you got and put it in my hands because I am the God who multiplies things. I take your resources and I multiply them. Because that day, here's what they wanted to be. They wanted to be manufacturers. And we like being manufacturers. You want to know why we like being manufacturers? Because if we can manufacture meeting the needs of people, a move of God, something awesome like that, then we get the credit. <laughs> but if Jesus is the manufacturer and we're just the distributors, then he gets the credit. Watch what happens here. It says in the passage that Jesus took the loaves, verse 11, which he had given thanks he distributed them, and Mark 6 tells us that he distributed them through his disciples to those who were seated. So the disciples, they take what little they have found, and they get it in the hands of Jesus. And Jesus takes it, and he begins to tear it off, and he gives it to his disciples. And they're distributing, and they're distributing, and they're distributing. He wanted them to get to the point to where they realized they did not have enough, near enough, anything to meet the needs of the people. Can I tell you something tonight? God has called us as a ministry you as a college student, to incarnate the gospel to the world, to Brandon and to the world. But here's the really crazy part. You don't have enough resources to do it. You don't. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough talent. And there's some talented people in here. But every time I go on a mission trip with a group, here's what I do. I look at them when we get there, and I say, um, you can't do this. And half the people are like, thanks. Thanks for getting me on this trip and now telling me I can't do this. And I would say the same thing to you tonight. And it's where Jesus wanted Philip to get when he asked him, how are we going to feed these people? He wanted Philip to get to a point where he said, Jesus, we, we, don't, we don't know. We don't know how we're going to meet all the need. I don't know how we can meet the need of Brandon, of the world. Because we got the equivalent of some ramen noodles. And Jesus says, I want you to meet the needs of the world. But he says, I don't want you to manufacture it. I just want you to distribute it. So... If they're going to distribute what Christ is manufacturing that day, he's just pumping out food, man, and he's feeding these 5,000. Here's the reality. is to be someone who's incarnating the gospel and distributing the need and meeting the need. That means I've got to be really close to Jesus, doesn't it? And I've got to be insanely close to Jesus. 
I can't distribute that which I don't have. I cannot give away that which I've not been given. And so for me as a Christ follower, to incarnate the gospel and meet the needs of my city and my world, I've got to see people, right? I've got to realize that I'm bankrupt spiritually. I'm bankrupt resource-wise. i got nothing to offer. But then i got to realize Jesus has everything. And so the closer I get to Jesus, the more he gives me, the more I can distribute. So as the disciples came to Jesus, he just kept handing it to them. And it was ever-flowing. It was always there. It was never-ending. So much so that the Bible says that they had leftovers and they gathered them. And they filled up 12 baskets with leftovers. So my question to us tonight is how are we going to meet the need in Brandon? We've gone to the homeless this week. We have gone to at-risk teenage girls this week. We've gone to the orphans and the neglected kids in our community this week. And there's so much more to be done, isn't there? There's so much more to be done. And the only way we're going to get there is instead of having a pep rally and going, yes, we can do this. We can meet the needs of our city. A lot of churches do that. The response would be, Jesus, we got nothing. (laughs) We got absolutely nothing. But you have everything. So we want to get as close to you as possible. We want to be Jesus people to our community. And so just if you would just flow it through us, just let us be reservoirs of your goodness to our city and to our world. That's what these disciples were that day. They were reservoirs that were passing along the goodness of God. A lot of times what we do, though, is we stop and we hold the blessing for ourselves. And we say things like, God bless us or God bless America. And I think the whole time God's going, hey, I have blessed you and I've blessed America. And I've done it so that you can be a blessing to the world. That You can incarnate me and take what little you have and get it in my hands. Because, man, when you get the ramen in Jesus' hands, wow. Wow. When you get what little you think you have in the hands of Jesus, and he begins to multiply it to meet the needs of many, that's what Christ has called us to. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, Jesus said. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending refuge. To meet the needs of the poor and the needy and the broken and the lost. Not in our strength, but in his strength and his resources. Let me pray for you, and then Zach and the guys are going to come lead us in some worship. God, tonight we we realize there's a lot of need. And God, the need can be overwhelming. The need is overwhelming alone in our city, much less this state, this country, our world. And God, I know that you have given each person in this room a different heart. Some of us in this room have a heart for Africa. Some of us in this room have a heart for places like Afghanistan, the Middle East, where unreached people groups live. But God, some of us, you've given us a deep heart for this city. God, the place you've planted us. God, for many in this room that don't live here anymore, they live on a campus far away, God, you've given them a heart for their campus. And God, it is difficult to step out into a world in need and feel like we can make any difference whatsoever. But God, you have not called us to manufacture. You have simply called us to distribute. To distribute that which you create, that which you make, your grace to those in need. So God, I pray that we would be a people that you could funnel your goodness through. God, what little we have, we'd be willing to give. We'd be willing to put it into your hands and let you make it more. 
and do miraculous things, God. We love you so much, Jesus. We want to worship you now in response. We pray these things in your name. Amen.